4, we read beginning in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled or concealed to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the icon or the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it, it, for it is the God, for it is the God, for it is God who commanded light to shine in out of darkness, who has shunned his in our hearts to, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. And that passage again is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 through 6, but we're actually going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And so glad for those of you who are here in the building. We definitely miss you, uh, the body of Christ, and we are looking forward to when we can return to in-person in -person worship and um, in so doing, fulfilling the instructions of the Lord that we, that we would not forsake the assembling together of ourselves as a manner of some, but exhorting, coming together to encourage one another so much the more as we are in evil days. Uh, today marks the beginning of a new series of messages I'm entitling, Reconnect to Return to the Work. Reconnect to Return to the Work. Many years ago, when I was at Dallas Seminary, I needed a ride from work. And one of my colleagues, uh, Victor Graham, uh, a student from South Africa, agreed to pick me up. And I got off at 11 o'clock, and I worked for a the Dallas County Boys Home for Adjudicated Teenage Delinquents. And one of the things, if you've ever visited Texas at night, they don't believe in street lights. And so where I worked in this rural community, you could literally put your hand in front of your face when it was dark and you couldn't see your hand. So as we began to make our way from the Dallas County Boys Home, Victor driving, he informed me that from in South Africa, they didn't have street lights, and they were taught to drive without lights. So he said, let me prove to you that I can drive at night in Texas when it's pitch black. So he turned the headlights of the car off as we're driving. And I promptly put my seatbelt on, and as I was trying to persuade him, look, I, I, I believe you. You don't have to convince me. But to my shock and amazement, as we drove without the headlights on in pitch black conditions, Victor was able to read the signs, the street signs. And so I'm dying, man, you, you, you're just making things up. But as we got closer to the signs, I realized that even though he saw the signs from a long distance, he was correctly reading what was on the signs. 
And so he asked me, he said, do you wear glasses? I said, of course not. I don't need glasses. I'm good. He said, well, you shouldn't have to wait to get so close to the sign to read what I see so clearly. So I agreed to uh, set up an eye exam. And after the examination, the doctor informed me that I was nearsighted. That means that I can see things very clearly close up. But when I take these bad boys off, everything that's distant becomes very blurred and obscure. So he prescribed for my natural lenses, the ones I was born with, the lenses on my eye, the iris of the eye, some support lenses called eyeglasses. And when I got the second set of lenses after having my vision checked, my lenses checked, I came to realize that I had been missing a lot because I couldn't see what was missing because I had not gotten my lenses, my vision checked. While we understand the need for additional support when it comes to physical eyeglasses when our vision is failing, that kind of problem, for the most part, is correctable. Get another pair of glasses, get the right prescription, and now you're able to see either near or far with the support of an ophthalmologist writing a prescription and, for, and filling it and you getting your glasses. The Bible talks about another condition that no ophthalmologist can correct. It's called spiritual blindness. And what makes this condition so difficult to diagnose and to treat is that those who have this disease, this condition, don't realize they have it and often reject suggestions that will enable them to correct it. Listen again to the Apostle Paul's words regarding this spiritual condition the Bible calls blindness, spiritual blindness. He says, and even if our gospel is concealed, is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age, the God of this world, Satan, has, look at this, blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the icon, who is the image of God. When you touch on Jesus, when you open up what the Bible says about the person and work of Jesus, you'll find everything that God is, it's true of Jesus Jesus said, I and the Father, we're one. Now, before we look more closely at this spiritual condition, the Bible calls spiritual blindness, let me briefly introduce the new topic in this way, reconnect to return to the work. I want to make a distinction between what it means to reconnect and what it means to return to the work. The, the difference has to do with the focus of each one of those terms. Reconnection speaks of the church ministering to one another 
through intentional relationship building. And so to reconnect means that the church comes together in what the Bible calls fellowship or koinonia, where we are ministering to one another through intentional relationship development. That's what we're going to be doing in life groups, intentionally ministering, building up the body of Christ so that we become all that we should be. Paul talks about this, that you will grow to the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ, every member working together to supply what other members need. And so reconnecting has to do with ministering to one another through intentional relationship building. While returning to the work refers to the mission of the church as mandated by Christ. So when we talk about returning to the work, not a work, not a ministry, but the ministry or the, the work, that is the mandate, that is, the, that is the, what we would call the great commission, the marching orders that Christ gave to the church is the work that we want to return to. So we want to, re- we want to reconnect for ministering to one another, but we also want to return to the work to fulfill the mandate, the mission of the church, and we're going to be talking more about that. How you see the world through the lenses of your thought life will determine what you prioritize. What you look at, what you focus on, will determine what matters to you. What you focus on the most will become your priority. If you are spiritually blind as an unbeliever, or spiritually nearsighted or short-sighted as a Christian, reconnecting to minister to others who are Christians won't make sense to the unbeliever. And to the believer who's short-sighted, returning to the work will, will seem insignificant because it's not a priority to you. And so we got to check your lenses. Tell somebody, check your lenses. What are you focusing on? What are you able to see? Are you in this condition the Bible calls spiritual blindness? Or do you fall into the second category that we're going to be talking about that refers to Christians that are in the church who also have a lens issue? Now, I want to start by clarifying some of the key issues, and I want you to write these passages down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 14. Actually, you can go through 14 through 16, but let's focus on 14 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm going to cover those verses. Now, what does it mean to be spiritually blind according to the Scriptures? What does it mean to be blind? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we get an explanation of what this condition looks like if you get diagnosed as having it. The Bible says, but the natural man, the physikos man, does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, comprehend them, understand them, because they are foolishness, moronic to them, because the things of the Spirit are discerned by the Spirit. They, are, they lack spiritual 
discernment. The natural man, the natural man does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, blindness in the Word of God has to do with there are three classes, actually, there are four classes of men. There's the natural man, there's a carnal man, there's a spiritual man, and then I'll add a fourth class of men, the, the, which would be the backslidden believer. Four categories of, on, on the spiritual continuum. But we want to talk about the spiritually blind man, the spiritually blind man. Spiritual blindness has to do with a condition that makes it impossible for a person to understand, to receive, or respond to spiritual truth in the Bible. It doesn't matter how many degrees that person has, how intelligent they are, what the, their intelligence, the Bible talks about there is a wisdom that comes from this world, and it is a wisdom but it is unsanctified intelligence, unholy wisdom. And so the spiritually blind people are individuals who cannot understand, cannot receive, or properly respond to divine truth that is in the Bible. They're not just, they don't just have a hard time seeing. They, they literally have a spiritual condition that makes them incapable because they lack the capacity or the ability to understand. The Bible calls that individual the natural man. Now, there are three causes for spiritual blindness, and I hope today that that doesn't describe you because I believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, have I not? And he's going to go through a whole list of things that they did in the name of Christ. And then Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were in this category of spiritual blindness. The natural man, the physikos man, the person who's only been born the first time, cannot see, cannot comprehend, do, does not have the mental capacity to understand spiritual truth. Now, there are three causes of spiritual blindness. And this is what you run into. The Bible says that the God of this world, Satan, who runs this world system, has blinded the minds of them who believe not. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. The first cause of spiritual blindness is sin nature. The natural man, the man who's only been born the first time, the man who has never experienced what Jesus called the second birth. He is unsaved. He lacks the, the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9b says, if you do not have the Spirit of God living in you, you do not belong to God. And so the spiritually blind person, the natural man, the one who's only been born the first time, does not have the Holy Spirit living in him. And so he was born. We are born in this condition. David says, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so we were born with this spiritual blind condition. Jesus actually put it like this in John chapter 3, verse 3. 
Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said, Most assuredly, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born again a second time, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God. Cannot comprehend, cannot understand, cannot, cannot properly respond. He, Nicodemus was saying, we know that you are a man sent from God because no one can do the things that you do. And Jesus didn't, it's as if Jesus ignored him. He said, you can't even begin to understand or comprehend or, 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 or respond to who I am because you haven't been born a second time. And so natural birth, we are born sinners, separated from God. Jesus also added, the most assuredly I send you, unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, born the first time through the water of his mother's womb, a second time born from above by the spirit of God. The Bible says that we are not saved by the works of our righteousness, but we are saved by the washing and the renewing and the, the, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And when we respond by faith and obedience, the Holy Spirit makes that which was dead alive and the blindness, the scales that makes it impossible for us to understand and comprehend spiritual things is, is removed. But Jesus adds, he said, unless you are born the second time the Spirit and of the water, you will not see the kingdom. You will not enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, first birth, and that which is born of the Spirit, second birth, is what makes it possible for you to have your spiritual vision issue corrected. Do not marvel that I say you must be you must be born again. You must be born again. Here's a second cause of spiritual blindness. Satan influence, his Satan's influence keeps the unsaved spiritually blind. And this is what makes us really struggle, is that you're talking to someone who, who's educated. You're talking to someone who may be very involved in church, but they don't respond to who Jesus is. And the scripture says the reason they don't is because the job of Satan through demonic spirits is to prevent people by any means necessary from comprehending or seeing the light of Christ shine through you. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and that as having seen your good works, they will glorify your father who's in heaven and he says, you are the salt of the earth, but it's the salt. The goal of Satan is, is to keep people that you have exposure to from seeing the light of Christ, from seeing the difference that the salt of Christ makes in your life to keep them in spiritual blindness. He will use Christians responding like non-Christians to keep the unsaved blinded. And so the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds. And why is he blinding minds? Lest they see the light of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ displayed, the glory of God displayed through Christ, through the gospel. The devil knows if somebody could really get a glimpse of Jesus, if somebody could really understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished, then they will be snatched out of his clutches. This particular kind of blindness that is intended to prevent people from getting saved, Satan uses, as I've already said, any means possible. And what we want to avoid, we don't want to be instruments in the enemy's hand. We don't want to be those who prevent others from 
seeing Jesus because of the lifestyles that we live. And here's a third cause for spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness, uh, uh, spiritual blindness opens our eyes. Uh, uh, it's self-inflicted spiritual blindness that is often disguised in religious activities. We, we remain in our blindness to Christ because there is a way that seems right unto man. But the end of that way, the scripture says, leads to death. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I thought that religion, Pharisee of the Pharisee, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, uh, regarding the zeal concerning the law, I, 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 I was second to none. He said, I was a member of the, the, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. And he said, I had everything that I thought I needed to make me right with God that would cause me to be acceptable to God. But he said that the things that I was trusting in were the very things that kept me from seeing who Jesus was. And so self-inflicted, Spiritual blindness is often disguised in religious activity. There are a lot of religious people who don't know Jesus. A lot of religious people who think that by doing certain behaviors are going to make them acceptable to God. Paul says, I realize now that my eyes, that the scales have dropped off, I realize that everything that I thought I had and I needed to gain righteousness with God was a righteousness that was really dependent on, the, on, on man's effort. He said, I count it all now as dung, as worthless. We can never underestimate the danger of being in the way of people seeing Jesus. One of the things that I hope that as we move into 2022, that as Paul talks about in Ephesians, he talks about the church waking up. The church really needs to get woke. And we, we, yeah, we need to be woke about uh, ra racism and segregation and discrimination and, and inequality. But we mostly need to be awoke, awakened to the fact that God is calling us to be about the work that will make the difference in all of those areas that I've just mentioned. It starts with returning to the work. But in order to return to work, you got to understand that you may be in a condition called spiritual blindness that is self-inflicted, satanically influenced, or the result of sin nature. One of the things about spiritual blindness, it opens our eyes to sin, but it blinds us to the things of the Lord. The Bible talks about this in Genesis chapter 3, that when, when Adam sinned, the Bible says that he and the eyes of Eve were open. They were open to the five senses, but they became disconnected to God. They could, not, they could no longer have an open channel of relationship to receive divine revelation from heaven because, because sin entered into the picture. And so what happens when we, when we are blind, we are very sensitive to what God is not pleased with. We're very attracted to that, but we are not able to see and to be responsive to the things that come from him. Can you imagine, you know how, how it is, when, we, when you relocate and, and you go, uh, you, you, you move to another house, another apartment, and in order for you to, to, to transfer your services, they gotta cut one set of services off to start a new service. Now, you, when you, you get to your new spot, there may be a chance 
that, uh, that, that the company that you call dropped the ball. And, and, and so the service that should have been connected or started didn't get connected. Now, that doesn't mean that the, that the stations that you are looking forward to seeing don't exist. It just simply means that you're disconnected. And as long as you get disconnected, I don't care how many times you turn that TV on, all you're going to see is static. You're not going to see any, 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 any of the shows that you would like to see. You're not going to be able to see anything that has any meaning. You'll see static and you'll hear static because you've been disconnected from the, from, from the, from the, from the company that provides the information that makes it possible for you to see what it is you would like to see. The same thing is true spiritually. The Bible says they are spiritually disconnected, and therefore, in a blind state spiritually, even though the screen is on, you can only respond on the level of taste, touch, hearing, feeling, and smell. You respond on the natural sensory level, on the physical level, while you are spiritually blind. And that doesn't mean the channels don't exist. Doesn't mean that God ain't moving. Doesn't mean that uh, what we see and are experiencing, those of us who are not spiritually blind, aren't, it, it isn't actually happening. It just means you disconnected. You disconnected. You haven't been invited into the room. You need to get connected. You need the blindness to be removed. Now, spiritual blindness determines your worldview. And this is the part that I'm going to have to share later with regards to the worldview of, 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 of Christians who who have a worldly, self, a worldly view. But here's the world. A worldview is this. Your spiritual blindness determines your worldview. Now, the worldview refers to a particular philosophy or belief about life or concept of world, how you think about the, how you think about the world and how you believe you should live your life in the world that you have made decisions about. That's a worldview. Here's some unbiblical views that people who are spiritually blind have. One is, if there is a God, man created him or her or it in their own image. And so, like in Romans chapter 1, they said they exchanged the glory of the true and only God for the images of creation that God made. And so what the secular world, unbiblical view says that even if there is a God, we, he is created to look like us and, or he is created to serve us and not we him. The secular world uh, 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 worldview also says there are many ways to God. There is not the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to all get there. We're just going in different directions. We may call God by many different names, but we, he, he, he's the same God. We just call him by different names. And when we get to this top of the hill, we're going to find ourselves in the same place with the same person because there's not one way. There are many ways to God. The secular view of those who are spiritually blind also say the primary objective in life is to Find self-fulfillment and gratification. What makes you happy is the most important thing that you should live for. And if it doesn't make you happy, your family don't make you happy, adios. If you don't want to work at this particular job anymore, even though you don't have a job waiting for you and you'll be gainfully unemployed, you don't want to be involved in anything that doesn't make you happy because the most important goal in life, according to secular 
spiritually blind, non-biblical believing and thinking people is that God, that the purpose of living is self-gratification. Then another main area of secular humanism or secular, a secular worldview that people who are spiritually blind hold to is that there is no absolute truth, that truth is relative. I got my truth, you got your truth. And let's be cool. My truth don't have to be your truth, and your truth don't have to be my truth. So don't be mad at me because I don't believe that your truth is true, and you don't believe that my truth. Now, if it's true that your truth is not my truth, and we can both have our own truth, how is it true that you can decide that? Now, just, just imagine this. That truth is, is relative, and, and, we, and, and the way they say it now, there's what's called alternative truth. There's something that's parallel to truth, and because it's parallel to truth, and it's the way we feel and the way we think, therefore what we think, our experience is more important than ex, what's called imperial facts. Now watch this talking about these, uh, this eye issue. I'm, I, I'm having some trouble seeing. I, I can't read the signs, so I decided to go into the eye doctor, and the, do- and, and, and the ophthalmologist said, she said, look, I want you to stand uh, with your back against the wall, put, put this thing, this object over one of your eyes, and I want you to read the chart. The chart has the, the alphabetical letters, and you start reading the chart, and you say, one, two. She said, no, 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 it's not numbers. These are alphabet, according to your truth, <laughs> two. <laughs> Three. No, 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 sir. I, I can't help you if you don't read the letters. But I say they're not letters, they're numbers, because your truth is different from my truth. And what makes your truth is no better than the said, Well, I'm sorry, I can't help you because what will determine what your prescription is is going to be based on not how you feel at any given moment, it's going to be based on the fact that at this distance, you can't read the letters that weren't, I didn't determine it A or B, this was objectively determined years ago in an established fact, and facts don't change, I don't care if it's a fact, it's eternal, and so even though if I don't, if I want to call them numbers and you want to call them letters, you can call them what you want, but you're wrong and I'm right. Because there is absolute truth. There wouldn't be absolute truth if God hadn't spoken. But in order for us to see what is true, the blindness has to be removed. Subjective truth. If it's my truth, man, this is how I feel about it. Let me, just, let me get my the Instagram and, 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 and Twitter is filled with opinions and, and my truth and what makes it work for me. The truth is, in in the real world, what makes it work for you is not based on facts, and it will not stand. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. Now, what is it, what does the term spiritual, nearsighted or spiritual, um, Short-sighted means. What does it mean to be nearsighted spiritually or short-sighted? Let me, so we, all, we just talked about spiritual blindness, the unsaved person. This term references Christians who are often very comfortably carnal. Now, let me, let me, let me read this passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that is, he said, add to your faith. 
godliness, kindness, etc. If you continue to grow spiritually, he says, uh, these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you grow spiritually in the areas beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he says you will grow in your understanding and insight about Jesus. He says, but whosoever, but whoever does not have them, these qualities, and growing in them is nearsighted, short-sighted, here it is, and blind-acting, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Here the apostle Peter is talking about a classification or a group of people that go to church all the time, people that profess to know Jesus. This is a condition that describes carnal Christians, worldly Christians, fleshly Christians who think like the world. He or she is extremely limited in, 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 in their spiritual understanding. They think like non-Christians. They only see what is in front of their face, in front of their nose. Their focus is on the temporal, not the eternal. He or she lacks spiritual maturity to see God at work in their daily experiences. They often live in their feelings. Now, the list that I wanted to give you of the worldview of a Christian, the Bible calls, he's not blind, but he lives like he's blind. He's short-sighted, he's nearsighted. He, the nearsighted, remember, a person who is nearsighted can see what's close. Or what is it? Near, yeah, you can see what's close, but he can't see what's far. And so this believer, this Christian, this, this professing saved person can, can see what's right in front of them if it benefits them, but they can't see in the spiritual realm. That is, they focus in, in the temporal rather than in the eternal. Let me see if I can remember some of the things that I wrote down. The spiritual worldview of a Christian who is nearsighted is that God exists when he's relevant to me, when, he, when, when relevant in my life. When I need God to help me, to give me something, God exists. Now, they're not atheists because the Bible says, fool, the fool has said in his heart that there's no God. They believe that God exists, but he's not relevant to them. He doesn't, they don't, they don't pray to him. They don't ask God unless there's something that they need, unless they get in trouble. Then let me call up God. Let me get my rabbit's foot. Let me, let me look at my horseshoe in front. Of, and God could be represented by a lot of things. But they literally believe in the man upstairs. But his relevance only matters when something is needed in their personal life. They even believe that Jesus is their Savior. They'll say, I'm saved. I, I joined the church many years ago. I'm baptized, and, and, and I, I know Jesus died on the cross, and they make a profession of faith, but he's not the Lord of their life. This is the person who does not surrender to Jesus as master, as ruler, as curios, as the one who dictates their lifestyle. They believe that the Bible is a sacred book, but they only follow it when it agrees with what they want to do or don't want to do. 
So if the Bible disagrees with, with if the Bible says submit to your own husband, I don't, that, that's kind of that's kind of archaic. That's kind of male chauvinistic, and that's kind of a misogynistic, and man, that ain't the way it is today. And so they selectively pick parts of the Bible that they want to obey. Sin to this nearsighted, farsighted, short-sighted Christian is if it makes me feel bad, then it's sin. But if I don't feel bad about it, then it must be okay, because if it wasn't okay, then I would feel bad. <laughs> so you may not feel bad about crashing into the back of somebody's car, uh, and you hope you can get away with it, but it's called an accident if you didn't do it on purpose. And, and, and if you were responsible, you are going to pay whether you feel bad about it or not. Sin is not based on what you feel bad about. Sin is based on what God has said about your behavior or your thoughts. And confession is simply agreeing with God, not with how you feel. But the carnal Christian basically takes a position that if I don't feel bad about it, why should I be confessing it? And even if I feel bad about it, they didn't know. They didn't, I didn't get caught. Now I feel bad, not because I sinned. I feel bad because I got caught. God understands anyway. The, the nearsighted, short-sighted Christian who operates in the temporal, when they look at the church, they look at the ministry of the church as the pastor and the elders and the leaders of the church are responsible for doing everything they can to keep me happy to stay at that church. That's the job of the church, is the leadership is supposed to make me comfortable and make sure that I'm happy to stay. The, the work of the church is not what you do with or for others, it's what others do for you. People join the church to get something, not to give. And so when you're spiritually carnal, when you're fleshly or worldly in your thinking, and just watch what's happening from Christians, they ain't talking about Jesus. They're talking about where they went and what they ate and who they were swinging with and how good they look and the new music and the wine that they tasting. And they ain't talking about no Jesus. It's they're talking about self. That's what happens when you become spiritually nearsighted, shortsighted, when you're walking in the flesh rather than the spirit. You saved but you're not seeing with the eye of the eyes of the fear. You're not blind, but you're acting like you are. So sin to the nearsighted Christian is what I feel bad. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. You, you, you can't be jumping on folk about loving who they want to love. God is love, isn't he? Yep, that's one verse in the Bible. But the same Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All unrighteousness and all who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. So we got a lot of spiritual babies. Paul said, you are yet carnal. You, 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 you caught up in cliques. You, 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 you're competing with one another. You're in conflict with one another. You don't see yourself as co-workers, but co-competitors in the church. When, you don't have, when you're spiritually immature, you're going to find yourself caught up in titles. 
You're going to find yourself caught up in people recognizing you and applauding you and patting you on the back. And, and if you don't get it, then you, then you feel un, 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 unappreciated. And you move down to the next door of the boardwalk until somebody recognizes how great you are. I actually heard a preacher say this one time. He was talking about this church that he was pastoring and, and, and how he was connected with this church. And he said, they don't know what they're working with. They don't know what they're working with. I was like, I was stunned. You that good, bro? You that bad? God needs you that much? I mean, the church won't go on without you. When you're spiritually nearsighted, you think that Jesus is that checkout boy at the McDonald's counter waiting to take your order. Now, let me make a distinction. Let me, let me, let me illustrate the difference between the spiritually blind and the spiritually nearsighted. The Christian who's carnal and saved, but acting and thinking like people that are unsaved, and the blind, the, the, the physicos man, the natural man. Now imagine, you're walking outside, we were on Rogers Road, and we're really not paying attention like a lot of folks, you're on your cell phone, you're texting, and, and you're just walking. Now in the blind person, there's a manhole that doesn't have a cover. Now even if the blind man was paying attention, he can fall in and will fall in that manhole unless somebody pulls him away from him because what? He can't see the hole. The next thing you know, the brother's walking down the street and then you don't see him no more. He done went down that manhole. But the nearsighted, short-sighted Christian, he could be texting, he could be, he could be, he could be talking on his phone, he's distracted, but he looks up and he sees the manhole. But instead of avoiding the manhole that he can see because he's, he's saved and he has the mind of God because the Spirit of God is living in him, he's not following the mind of God. He goes back to texting and, and talking on the phone. And guess what happened? He goes right down into that manhole just like the blind man. One could avoid it. The second man, the, blind, the, the spiritual blind man, had no choice. But I want you to know there are a whole bunch of Christians in manholes right now, still texting, still having a good time, still thinking, they, 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 I ain't dead yet. If God, you know, I, I remember you said, do this. If I'm lying, Lord, kill me right now. And people say, okay, he must be telling the truth, lying through my teeth. And sometimes they say, well, if, if this was so terrible, and it's all that they said is, and, and why hasn't God judged me? Why hasn't God destroyed me? You better be grateful like I'm grateful that God didn't do an Ananias to fire a situation on us. They came to church acting like everything was cool, nearsighted and short-sighted, carnal, trying to get attention, trying to impress people with their offering, but they decided to play with God's money. Amen, amen, amen. And the Bible says that God killed them right at the altar. First the husband, then the wife. Sometimes you don't get a second chance to get it right. Let me run on through this. What is the ministry? What is this ministry? And we made him stop here. What is the ministry? Paul said, oh, I love it. He says in, in chapter, one, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy, hear me, church, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Why? Because we have this ministry, but we have this treasure, in verse 7, in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that this all-surpassing power is from who? From God and not from us. This ministry that I'm talking about, 
is Paul. Paul says it was given to us by the mercy of God. First, he refers to the work of the church as this ministry. Hear me, church, this ministry. And then he calls this ministry in verse 7 the work of the church. He calls it treasure that has been deposited into earthen vessels like us. And so he calls the ministry is treasure. The ministry, the the work of the church is, is, is treasure. The work of the church is this ministry, not a ministry. It is this ministry. What is this ministry? Paul says it this way in the previous chapter and in in chapter 1, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he said, I came to you knowing nothing except for Christ crucified and nothing else. This ministry, this treasure, this mystery that was previously hidden, that is now deposited to the church, this mandate to the church, is the ministry is this, is to proclaim Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected, and available to save the world. Paul says the preaching of this cross, the proclaiming of the cross, is to those who are perishing foolishness, but unto us it is the power of God. What is this ministry? It is proclaiming to a lost world that Jesus died, that the cross is central. I want you to understand when we get that message that this is the ministry, it's a a game changer. Politics change. Finances change. Marriages change. Because when you get the cross of Christ as a central ministry of the church, The world changes rather than the church being changed by the world. The work of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to make disciples. Oh, that ain't pretty. Ain't nothing fancy about it. But the problem with the church today, the church isn't growing because of evangelism. Souls getting saved. Most of the largest churches are filled with disgruntled Christians who have left one place to go to another place in their carnality so that they can play in the playpen. This ministry is to proclaim Christ in him alone. Not in the excellency of speech, but Paul said, I didn't come to you with fancy words and and manipulative uh, 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 different uh, uh, strategies. He said, but I came preaching Christ in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I know that the Holy Spirit was at work is you, church at Corinth, you are the fruit. You are the fruit. What is your work? What is your work? Christians are so distracted. We, we, I, I don't know if anybody put on their goals for 2022 is to make the cross central in everything I do. Is that on your list? It's, it, 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 did you put on your list of goals for 2022 that I am going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that you give me a chance because the reason you left me here, he said, but when the Holy Ghost comes, why did he come? That you may receive power to be my what? Witnesses. Churches are not growing because people are getting saved. The devil don't have no problem with people going to church. His issue is with people getting saved. Returning to the work church means that I am going to make up my mind that everything that I do will be focused around the centrality of the cross of Jesus. Because when people receive Christ, the Bible says, we, we say it all the time, if any man 
being who? Jesus. You become a new creation in all things. Make Christ the central point of your marriage. Make him the central point of when you go to work. Make him the central point of your conversation. Make him the centrality of your, of your interactions on social media. And I declare that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the euangelion, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is. It is not me, but it is the power of God that leads to salvation. A man and his wife drove up to a gas station to get fuel. And as they sat in the car, a young gentleman came by and asked if he could wash his, the windows, and he agreed to allow the young man to wash his windows. And he cleaned the windows and made them squeaky clean. And then the driver, the man in the car said, what is this? The windows are filthy, man. Who taught you how to wash windows? And I said, would you like to wash them? He said, yeah, I'll wash, wash them again. So he washed them a second time. He looked real close to see if there are any bugs, any dirt, any uh, dust or anything. And he, he got real quiet and wiped it. And he finished it, sir, okay, are you happy? Are you kidding? Are you super? Are you really serious? This, this, this window is, this is terrible. So, okay, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try one more time. So he, he put extra soap and water on it. He scrubbed it extra hard. He scrubbed it, and then he finally cleaned it up. And, then, and then, he, then he finished, and the man said, you are absolutely ridiculous. I'm going in here talking to your boss. You don't ever need to wash another window again. In fact, I hope he fires you. And just as the man was getting out of his car to get this young man fired, his wife took his glasses off. And she took some napkins, and she began to wipe the lenses of his glasses. And then he put the glasses on, he realized that it wasn't the window that was dirty. It was his lenses. The, win the window was, was perfectly clear. I want you to understand, you need to check your lenses. Make sure you're not spiritually blind. Make sure you're not the, the, the nearsighted, short-sighted Christian. Make sure that your worldview lines up with the scriptures, that God is the one who has absolute authority over every part of your life, that Jesus didn't just die to save you, but he died to rule over your life as your Lord and Savior, and that the reason you are here it's not that you can have a great day, but that you would return to the work and proclaiming the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you for this time that we've had in the Word. Lord, I thank you for each person who made their way out to be a part of this time of fellowship in your Word. Father, we do want to reconnect for ministering with intentional personal relationship developing so that we can be strong, stronger to do the work, to return to the work. Father, I pray that we would have the same mind. One of the reasons why the church is so distracted and so much infighting is because we've lost, we've lost sight of the work, the work, the work. The work is the crucified Christ and him risen from the dead and willing and ready to save to the utmost from the eternal consequence of rejecting Christ, which is separation from God in a place prepared for the devil and his angels called hell. Father, may we have the passion of Christ, the passion of Paul. Paul said, I am compelled. I have no choice 
if I keep silent, woe is me. Father, bring us to the place in our walk with you that we can't keep the good news to ourselves. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.